um, when a person gets a hold of that idea, it, cha it changes their lives. And I, ho I hope you've gotten a hold of that idea. And it is a good, um, a good comment, if you would, before I jump into these things, because this is a challenging one. How many people here love challenging sermons? Honestly, put your hand up. I have some people who love it. You know, I'm just smashing away. Like and I go, that was fantastic. You got to do that more. <laughs> uh, I guess the passage or the text determines the sermon, right? Um, but I hope as we jump in today that you'll be really open to be challenged and to be changed. Uh, we're talking about the story. If anyone's new, this is a book which is essentially the Bible in chronological order. The Bible in itself isn't written chronologically, but uh, um, this book is, and it's got 31 chapters, and we're spending 31 weeks at it, and we have small groups through the week uh, which are studying the passage, the, the chapter before I speak to the chapter. So that's the context for anyone here that might be new and might not have, have heard about the, the, the campaign, if you want to call it that, that we're in for the year. Um, but the reality is that the people of God very often blow it. They just don't function very well, according to God's perspective. And uh, this is one of those chapters. <laughs> and of course, we try to find ourselves in it. So let's pray. Let's just ask God to make us really willing to listen and to be open to his voice. Lord, it's an amazing thing that you've done in giving us this holy book inspired by your spirit that the authors might write exactly what you wanted them to write to communicate to us exactly the things that you wanted us to know. And our God, we thank you for the Bible and uh, the profound impact that it has had and can have in our lives. And we would pray as we look at this chapter in the story, Lord, that uh, you would make us open. Uh, give us ears to hear, Lord. Give us an eagerness to know what you might want to say to us individually today and to us corporately as a church. So we pray you will speak, our God, that we will hear and that we will be willing to obey. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us through the journey, the story began uh, with creation and God's great desire to come down and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. That fellowship between God and people was really at his heart in creation. And it uh, wasn't long, though, before Adam and Eve, our ancestors, rebelled and sinned, and uh, they essentially tore that relationship. And they were cast from God's presence, cast from the Garden of Eden. And from that moment on, God put a plan in place. This is the quick overview to get us back to him. And he formed a nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel existed for lots of reasons. But one of the primary reasons that the nation of Israel existed was to display the glory of God that others might look at his people and see his love and his mercy and his grace. That literally others, the surrounding nations, if you would, will look at this nation and go, my goodness, that, is, that nation is remarkable and come to realize that they're remarkable because they're being like their God. They're obeying his commandments. They're becoming like him. Um... And, 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 and as this story goes along, of course, it's going to lead us to the person of Jesus and to the renewal of all creation. We're going to get to that later in the, the win winter and spring. But what we can learn about being the people of God in this day is really here this morning. And it's challenging. I don't want to, you know, say otherwise. I'm going to be loving and gracious. I hope I always am. But, you know, it, it's going to push us a little bit. I'm going to ask you some questions, and it's going to, you know, 
I hope cause you to think a little bit more deeply about where you're at in your relationship with God. First question I want to ask us as a congregation is, to what degree do we, as a church, reflect the glory of God in the world? Have you ever thought about that? You know, when people look at IPC, do they stand back and go, man, the God of those people must be an awesome God. He must be loving because they're loving, and he must be gracious because they're gracious and forgiving because they're forgiving people. He must be merciful because they show mercy. They must love justice because he loves justice. He must love justice because they love justice. Oops. And so on and so forth. What do you think? A little step further. When people look at your life and mine, how much do they see our God? Specifically, how much do they see Jesus? That's a challenging thought, right? Because... <laughs> None of us are perfect, and a lot of us are far from perfect, self-included. But it's, it's essentially what this chapter 10 is about. It's, it's the story of a, a great man, a man of God named Samuel, a great prophet of Israel, and about Israel's first king, King Saul. Then would come King David, and then would come Solomon, and we'll get there. But this first part of, uh, of the story is about King Saul. It all begins with a woman named Hannah. She's a faithful servant of God. She hasn't had a child and in that day, it was a very difficult thing, and she's even mocked by uh, that fact. And she goes to God. She goes to a place called Shiloh. It's about 18 miles north of Jerusalem. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where people first and foremost in that day worshiped God. And she gets on her knees, and she prays, God, if you would give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And God was gracious, this, this incredible God that we have, and he gave her a son, and she named him Samuel, and she took him to the temple, and there he served as a prophet of God to this nation for his whole life. God was so instrumental in, in, in placing him, if you would, in this position to be the spokesperson of the living God to that nation. Well, essentially, three problems emerge. And if you're in this small group discussion, you, you, know, you know these basic ideas, of course. But three problems emerge which keep Israel from being what God called them to, do, to be being that nation which allowed other nations to see him. Being those people who were so faithful to God that they became like the Lord so that other people could look at them and go, oh my goodness, what a God. What a God. And what we're going to do today is talk about those three problems. We're going to look at them and if possible find ourselves in them because you know, as the, remember this, as the upper story carries on, God's got his plan and has got his intention. Well, so the lower story carries on, people's involvement in what God is doing. And no matter how much they or we mess up, God's story carries on. You got that, right? <laughs> it's remarkable, his faithfulness. He just keeps on because he's got a purpose and he's got a plan and he's going to accomplish it. Question is, how do we interact with that? And in this instance, I'm afraid the Israelites don't do particularly well. First problem emerges is this. Uh, it emerges uh, because of the corruption of the priesthood. There's a, there's a priest named Levi. He has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Don't ever name your children that, right? I mean, think about these names sometimes, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, and, and they're serving, of course, at this, this uh, place called Shiloh. But they're really um, abusing the sacrificial system uh, as the people come to offer sacrifices to God. You'll remember the sacrificial system established by Moses, and its primary purpose was to point 
people to the reality of what would come, that someday Jesus Christ would come, the living Son of God, and he would be sacrificed on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could get back into relationship with God. That which we lost in Eden we're going to, is going to be restored. And Jesus came ultimately, and he died on the cross so that we could enter into God's presence and say, Lord, just forgive me. I know the penalty has been paid. I know, I know what Jesus has done is sufficient for me to be yours, and I pray, Lord, that you'll forgive me and that I can be yours again. I hope every single person here has taken that step because that's what God longs for. He longs to be in relationship with you. That's the big theme that we see so much through this story. Anyway, Hophni and Phinehas, they're doing a couple of things that are just way out of line. Number one, they're taking the, the, the meat that is to be sacrificed to God uh, and, and, you know, what would happen was people would bring animals of various descriptions and they would be slaughtered and the meat would be put on the altar and be burned as a sacrificial offering to God. But before it was burned, these two yahoos would take the meat and they would have dinner. They would eat it. And it was literally keeping people from worshiping God in the way God called them to worship him. Instead of, as priests, enabling people to worship God, they were preventing it. And of course, here they are in this religious milieu, and they're just using religion in order to benefit who? Themselves. And this is a huge problem for God. He, he's, he's, he's not happy about it, and, and as, as I'll describe in a minute, he, he won't put up with it. More than that, as if that wasn't enough, these two priests were sleeping with some of the women who served in the tabernacle, that tent which housed the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, God just looked down at this, and, and you know, he wasn't pleased. Um, Eli, their father, did nothing about it. He saw it. He spoke to them about it, but that was all. Let me read you part of this story, page 132. It's uh, 1 Samuel 3, 11 and following in your book or, or the Bible if you want to follow along with that. But let me read some of this story to you. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make... The ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family. God has previously spoken into this from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons, note the word, blasphemed at God. And he, Eli, failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by, the, by sacrifice or offering. I want to tell you, my friends, um, God was not pleased. Chapter 2, it's not in, in, in the story per se, but verse 17 of 1 Samuel says this. The sins of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with, this is about the sacrificial meat, with contempt. Um, and God stepped in. What did he do? Well, God... <sighs> chose in a very specific way, as we've just read, to do something that shocked the people of Israel. The army was about to go into battle, as it often did in, in this day, and uh, the army mustered, and they went off, and they did what they had done before, which didn't produce anything positive. They went without the Ark of the Lord. Now, this Ark of the Lord was the representation of the presence and the power of God, and historically, when the Ark went with the army of God, God's presence and power was act active, and they would win the battle. Well, they went without the, the Ark. Once again, they were saying, we can handle this on our own. We can take care of this. We'll be defeat the bad guys, and they lost the battle. They came back to, to uh, their people and, and, and told the story, and Hophni and Phinehas, these two uh, so-called servants of God said, it, 
we know why you didn't win. You didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with you. This is like, this is a slam dunk. If you take the Ark, you'll win the battle. So they prepared for another battle, and Hophni and Phinehas went with them. It's almost like they were thinking the, the Ark of the Covenant was some, like some sort of magical trinket that would all, which would produce the outcome. Just having it there was enough. And they went off to battle, Hophni and Phinehas with the Ark and, and the army as well, and they were confident that God would succeed for them as he had in the past. But what happened is that they suffered a huge defeat at the hand of their enemy. Let me read that for you, page 133. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, follow, 4 and following. Let me just read this story. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there in the ark, with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the, in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines, the enemy, fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Um, and part of the huge disaster in that moment is that the ark of the covenant was no longer in the hands of God's people. Well, news went back to, to Eli, and he's an old man at this point, and he's sitting on a stool, and he hears of the defeat, and he hears of the ark being lost, and he hears of the death of his sons, and he falls off his stool, and he breaks his neck, and he dies. Um, it's a dramatic story that essentially says God is not going to put up with this problem. Well, what's going on here? What's the word of God for us? What is it that God today wants to tell us or to challenge us with in light of this story? It's simply this. We cannot engage in the outward appearance of religiosity without living the reality. You see, the, the problem with these two men was that they're phonies. They're saying, look at me. I'm a priest of God, and I serve with my vestments, and I give this appearance of righteousness and of holiness. But they weren't real. They were being phony, going through religious motions, but no internal reality, not having a consistency between what they claimed to believe and the way they lived their lives. You see, they had identified themselves with Yahweh, the living God. Um, but in doing so, they were living in a way that was contrary to the claims of that God on their lives. See, word gets out, as the text said that I read, and they didn't glorify God. <laughs> they weren't making him look good. They weren't enhancing his reputation in the world in the end. They were dishonoring the name of their God. And as a result, there was no more power available to the people of God. Something powerful and significant there, right? In itself. In the end, God judged them. In the end, God said, I'm not going to live with this reality. Question number one of three. Any phonies here today? 
um, good at religious observation, church on a Sunday morning, looking good to the crowd, um, but hearts that are far from the Lord Jesus, not living for him. Now, all of us sin. All of us make mistakes, but there's a difference here. There's a difference here. See, claiming the name of Jesus, but dishonoring that name by the way that sometimes we live. You know, that there are the Ten Commandments, and we talked about them weeks ago now, but there's the Fourth Commandment that says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And a lot of people grow up, and they're told basically what that means is don't swear. <laughs> don't take the name of God on your lips in a vain, empty way. It's not really what it's about. I mean, there is some application of the, of the commandment to that reality, but it's not really what it's about. What it's talking about is exactly this dynamic that Hophni and Phinehas were living out. They, they, they identified themselves with God, but they took the name of God upon themselves in a vain, empty way. We can do that too. We can identify with Jesus. We can say, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. We can identify with the living God. Um, but we're not living the life. And rather than glorifying God, we're dishonoring God. I want to tell you what we need. If there's anybody here today and God's saying to you, it's, <laughs> this is you, we got to get real with ourselves, number one. Then we got to get real with God. We got to get honest about this. And in time, then we can get real with other people. And very simply, this God of love, even though he's not pleased with that behavior, is a God who is willing to forgive. If we will only repent of that sin and we will walk away from it, we can stop pretending about the reality of the life that we live and start living the reality. Start living the real deal with authenticity, with sincerity, never being perfect, but seeking to live for God in a way that allows him to be honored in our lives. And allows him to experience glory from other people. Anybody here today recognizing a phoniness that needs to be addressed? Problem number two, and this emerges when the nation of Israel, they wanted a king like other nations. Let me read this to you. Um, oh, by the way, God had basically said through Samuel, this is not a good idea. And as you will hear, I'm your king. You don't need another king. I'm your king. So page 135 First uh, Samuel 8, 4 and following, 135, says this. So all the elders, elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. He said, they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God wants to be our king. You know that. He wants to be our ruler, a benevolent, loving, gracious ruler. But that's what he longs for in our lives. They're rejecting me as their king, as they have done from that day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. So it's really clear what God's thought is in this. This is a bad idea, people. Well, let's, let's read the response of the people of Israel, page 136, after um, Samuel tells them these things, for Samuel 8, 19 and following. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations 
with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. What they're saying is God's not enough. God's not enough. We want to be like those nations which surround us. Um, what's this problem? Well, the problem, very simply, is conformity. They have a longing in their hearts, a wanting to be like the nations which surround them. Now think about this. They're sitting there. Just think of it as, as you know, they're in, they're in the land of Canaan. They have their nation. There are nations which surround them, Philistines and Moabites and Amalekites and so forth. And they're looking at them and saying, we want to be like them. Who are they not saying they want to be like? They're not saying we want to be like our God. And here's the deal. <laughs> that God is not like those people who don't know that God. And, 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 and this is something that is a rejection of the reality of God. And I want to ask this question here today. Who among us, are there people in this room today who have a real strong desire to be like people who do not follow Christ? Who look into this world of ours, and it's, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's not really that important. They sit back and say, we want to be like everybody else. That's their heart's desire. It's their longing. It is their wish. If there's anybody here like this, I want you to know, and I'm going to spend a little time on this. The last thing in the world God wants for you is to be like them. It is a strong theme throughout Scripture. We're reading it here in the Old Testament. We're going to read about it in the New Testament that God says, I don't want you to be like them. I want you to be like me. Because the more you are like me, the more distinct and different you will be, and the more you will capture the attention of people who have no idea about who I am, and they will see me in you. So no, don't be like them. Don't aspire to that. As a matter of fact, turn away from that and turn to me and discover who I am that you might become like me. How much a part of your thinking as a follower of Jesus is that in your mind? Let me go to the New Testament. The quintessential verse, the classic verse from the New Testament is Romans 12, verse 2, and it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change how you think according to the word of God by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Don't conform your life to the pattern that the world has. Don't do it. The New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The message paraphrase says, don't get so well adjusted that you would adopt the way of the world and adjust to its norms. Are you hearing this? That's not our example. That's not our aspiration. Listen to this one, 1 John 2.15. This has had a, a real effect in my life for many, many years. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, I believe it says the love of the Father is not in them. That's profound. And my question as a minister of Christ today is, what do you love? Who do you love? We don't run after the things the world runs after because they run after it. As a matter of fact, very often we go in the other direction. Um, we are called to be different. 
We are called to be distinct. Biblical word. There's another biblical word that sometimes makes the point a little more. We're called to be peculiar. How many, how many people here, oh, I really want to be peculiar in the eyes of everybody else? Like me, I, I want to be weird because I love like no one else loves and I show grace like no one else shows grace. And I'm merciful like nobody else is merciful. And I have a passion for justice like no one else has a passion for justice. And on and on it goes. I often think of old order Mennonites and the way they dress. That's peculiar, right? And I think because the world has drifted so far from an understanding of God and his word, word we need to be peculiar in the same way. Not because of the way we dress, but because of the way we live, because of the values we hold, because of the way we think about things and the life that produces. Are you peculiar, distinct, different? Philippians 2, 14 to 16 says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then listen, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's scripture. And, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. We don't get like this. It's all for, law. It's all for naught. If we, don't, if we don't encounter that reality of God so much that he transforms our thinking and our values and our passions and our lifestyle, Paul's saying, I'll have run my, my life, my journey in vain. See, the people of Christ are to call to be like Jesus, and Jesus is not like the world. Jesus is like the living God who is enthroned in heaven. And we are called to be like him. You see, there's a huge difference between, think a bright, shining star in the dark universe that surrounds it. We're to be that light that allows people to see the reality of God. Now, how do you get different? What does it mean to be different? I mean, I could go on for an hour on this one. After you come to that place of conviction, you say, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like God. What does that mean? What does that look like? I'm going to... I'm gonna, just illustrate a couple of things. Number one, how do you use your time? And connected to that question is, do you live to serve people or to be served by them? Like, I really want you to think deeply about this. Is it your intention in life to serve people and to serve God, that your life is laid down as was Christ in order to bless other people, or do you live so that other people can bless you? We're bombarded on a daily basis with commercials that say, we are here to serve you. We exist to provide you with this product. And not only do you need it, it'll make you happy. It's a necessity in your life if your life is going to thrive. Stuff. Jesus said, the Son of Man referencing himself did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, to lay down his rights, to sacrifice himself, that the will of God would be done, that people would be blessed for an eternity. And people of Jesus, you who identify with him, we are called to follow him. We are called to become like him and to live our lives in service to God and to others. It's who we are. It's our identity. It's our identity. We are called to serve in the world, and we are called to serve in the church, both. 
You know, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, we've talked about them before, those divine enablements God's give, uh, given us, they exist so the body of Christ might be built up. We're called to serve in the world, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, wherever you might be, but we're also called to serve in the church, and we have to do both. And I want to say this in a somewhat challenging way. My friends, if you're not serving and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there's something wrong. If you formed your life so that you would be blessed and your needs might be met, there's something really, really wrong in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And let me say this too to the people of IPC. If you're not serving God in the church, there's something wrong. There should be no ministry in this congregation that doesn't have an abundance of people who are lined up and willing to serve because their hearts are passionate to serve, because they love God and they love his church and they want to build his kingdom and they love the people of God and they want to love the people of this world. Now, I, I'm just going to throw this in. We have a senior high youth group and they have one adult volunteer who serves occasionally because she just had a baby can't come more because of it. One adult volunteer who's there every few weeks. Uh, we have paid people who look after our teacher, the teenagers and lead them into a relationship with Jesus. We have paid people who come along and share Christ with them and show them what it means to follow Jesus. But right now, nobody else shouldn't be. And it's not that people do what they do because their pastor harangues them on a Sunday morning, but because Christ has come and he has transformed their hearts and they have a love for the Lord and they know their gifts and they hear the calling of God and they step into ministry that they might serve the lives of a bunch of teenagers who need them to. I don't know what God's saying to you today, but I am here to tell you if you're not serving, there's something wrong in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And something needs to change. So there's the idea of how we use our time and whether we serve. How about um, something like doing business? Lots of business owners here and people engaged in business. You know, when I mention this kind of thing, I'm pretty sure, because I've heard the comments after the fact, that people immediately think of the how you do business. We'd be better do it in a, uh, in a moral fashion versus in, a, in an ungodly fashion. You know, we're not going to cheat and we're not going to lie and so forth. And they, people take it quickly to that realm of morality. I want to start with a discussion. It's not so much about how we serve in business, but why your business exists. I think I'd ask most people in the world, why do you run a business? They'd say, well, I want to make money. I want to provide for my family, and I want the toys, and I, you know, I want to get rich or whatever, right? I want to succeed. Now, that's the world. Not wrong to make money, but listen to me. Your first, if, you, if you are a business person, your first and foremost reason for existence is to glorify your God to allow people through your business to see the reality of a God who is good and loving and gracious and kind and merciful and just. To open the eyes of people who can't see that God, but they begin to see him through you because you have a different reason for doing business. And then you have a different way of doing it. If, if the values of the kingdom of God haven't entered into the business reality, so that you treat your employees differently and you treat your customers differently and you treat your suppliers differently. If, if it's not like Christ is present running this business through you, again, there's something wrong. How about in the area of, of uh, finances? 
you know, the, the dramatic difference between the world and ourselves is that we are called to be like God, who is an incredibly generous God. He has given the life of his son for you. He blesses people every single day, millions and millions and millions of time. His heart's desire is to love. And the scripture calls us and it says, you know what, guys, I, I, you know, I, want, I want you to give your resources uh, substantially, the money that you have, you're just holding in possession, you don't own it, you, you're, you're possessing it and you're to use it for God's purposes. And there's the tithe, which boggles the minds of a lot of people who don't understand these things. God comes along and says, listen, use that money to accomplish my purposes. Use that money in such a fashion that people will see and glorify me. That's different. Rather than hold on to it, just give it away. <laughs> That's craziness to some people. That's why we're here. That's why we have the stuff that the work of God might be done in this world. Last area, the area of, of uh, our private lives, sexuality. I don't need to go on at length about this, but, uh, you know, I want to tell you that and, and partly the reason that I mention this, and you're going to see this if you haven't already, through the story of the people of Israel, there are two things that really arise in their lives that express their unfaithfulness to God. One is idolatry, and the other is sexuality. It's here again, right? We see it in Hosni and Phineas. Um, <laughs> they're just not on. <laughs> And time and time again, God calls us to be faithful to him by turning away from idolatry and living faithfully before him in our sexual lives. And as I've said often before, the Bible is absolutely clear. If we accept it as the divine word and, and true and inspired word of God, its message is clear that sexuality is to be experienced within a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in that relationship called marriage. Now, even me saying that, defines how out of step we are with the world. You know, sex before marriage, no big deal. <laughs> um, affairs happen with great regularity, and on and on it goes. But God says, my people, this is the way of blessing. I love you. This is the way to go. I am commanding you, live your lives in this fashion. And I want to tell you, the more we hold on to that, the more different we will be in this society. We're already dramatically different. But God calls us to faithfulness in that way. Anybody here who really feels it's time to stop conforming to the pattern of this world? Anybody here who is recognizing, hey, I want to be like them and I'm living my life like them versus being exactly what God calls me to through his word? Anybody here saying, hey, God's speaking at a deep level in my life and I know it's time to act? Well, there's a third problem, and that is kind of captured in the title, standing tall, falling hard. Saul is anointed by Samuel. He's a big man. He's a good-looking man. You know, everything seems great. The first battle he fights and leads the people of Israel in is successful. But after that, it's all downhill. <laughs> he starts well, but he keeps on failing. Um, there's a battle. I'm going to illustrate this just one, in one instance, uh, which they're going into and God says as he does in this instance just wipe out everything keep nothing for yourself here's what happens uh, page 142 1 uh, Samuel 15 verse, starting at verse 7 then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from 
Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of their sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. I'm going to carry on a little bit more that isn't in the text itself of the story. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Here it comes, right? <laughs> I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Samuel has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said to him, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? Famous line. What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? You see, what happened simply and, and briefly is that God gave explicit instructions to his king, King Saul. And uh, Saul did exactly the opposite of what he was called to do. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, he kept the good stuff, if you would, when God said, keep nothing. Why? Because he was a greedy man. He wanted more and more and more. He was already king. Now, to make matters worse, then, he goes and he builds a monument to himself and not to God the God who was blessing, the God he was intended to communicate to the world was there and powerful and real. See, the problem here, very simply, is that he misrepresented this one named Yahweh. Yahweh is not greedy, but his king was greedy. Yahweh is not proud and arrogant, but his king was proud and arrogant. You know what? We're the body of Christ. And like King Saul, our first responsibility is to communicate to the world the reality of the God we know. I don't know whether you all know this or even thought about it a lot, about, a lot but Jesus isn't here. Jesus is in heaven. He, the Bible says, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is enthroned in power in heaven. His spirit is with us, but he, in physical form, is there. We are the body of Christ. We are his presence here now. And people have the opportunity to look at the church filled with the spirit, inspired by the truth of God, and see the reality of Christ, because if they don't see him in us, it's very possible they'll never see him at all. We're it. We're plan A and there is no plan B. Someone has said uh, an old, well-known phrase, but I think it's very true. We're the only Bible some people will ever read. And you know what? Not only is that corporately true, it's individually true. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. You may be the only means whereby somebody sees the reality of Christ in such a distinct and different and a peculiar way at work in their lives that they stand back and go, man, tell me about your God because he sounds amazing. That's why we're here. 
to display the glory of God. Let me finish with this. I want to ask you this morning, where has God poked at you? You know what I mean? That still small voice just at work in your life today. Where has the word of God come? Of these three problems, if you want to call it that, where do you need to make some change? Do you need to give up phoniness? Stop playing a religious game, putting on a good show on a Sunday morning but living otherwise for the rest of the week? I want to tell you, you can turn away from your sin and by the power and the grace of God at work in your life, you can become a godly individual who displays God's glory. You want it? You can have that. Confess, turn, and renew your commitment to Christ. Commit your life to Jesus and the way of God. Who here needs to give up the desire to be like the world? Who here needs to stop loving the world and the things of the world? Who here has to stop desiring to be like them and develop a longing in their hearts to be like him? That can happen, you know. Lord Jesus, give me your heart. Lead me in your way. Let me to think your thoughts so that my mind is, so that I don't conform my life to the world, but I can be transformed by my mind so that I can bring your reality into play in my whole life. Who needs here to stop misrepresenting our God? Um, no more greed, no more arrogance, no more you fill in the blank. Instead of seeing the opposite of who God is, people can start to see the reality of who God is. I want to tell you the more different we become, the more we represent the reality of our God, the more the world will see and be impressed by and give glory to this God. Want to know him, want to follow him, want to embrace him because of who he is. I told you this would be a challenging one, right? It's there. That's the story. That's the, that's the text. I just want to give it all, all of us an opportunity today to take a step. Step away from what has been and a step toward what can be. Um, to get into that place to, by the grace of God at work in us, to open our lives to Christ so that he can begin to shine his light through us into the lives of other people in a new and profound and dramatic and beautiful way. So we're going to just pause in prayer, silence again. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the poke, if indeed the poke has come. To say, God, I hear you, and I'm ready. Um, I want to do what you want me to do. By the way, if you're not ready, it's even a step forward to tell God that. You can ask him to be a work in your life if you wish. You can, you know, you can, you can uh, ask God to take you forward. But honesty with God is always better than pretending or phoniness. So let's take a, just a minute. Let's just take a minute in God's presence and uh, respond to how God has spoken today. Take the step you need to take so that his light might shine through you.
Lord God, it's in uh, sermons like this, which arise out of texts such as we have looked at today, that we need to know that in spite of the way we live our lives, you still love us. And even when we're unfaithful to you, Lord, you remain faithful to your people. You never gave up on the Israelites. God, we come today and we just want to express before you our heart's desire, and that is that we can be so much like you, living in the reality of our faith, Lord, not conforming to the world, but being ready to be different, not living in disobedience to your commands and misrepresenting you, but living in obedience toward you. God, we want the world to see you through us. Lord, this is the case on an individual level. It's the case on a corporate level. We want IPC to be a church that people look at and go, wow, what a God they must serve. So we pray this will be more of a reality day by day in our lives. Lead us forward, Lord. Give us the courage to take the steps that we need to take. That we might be the people, the faithful people that you call us to. That we might honor you with, your, with our lives. That you might be glorified through us, we pray. God, do your work in us. And let the world see the amazing and wonderful and beautiful God. In Jesus' name we pray.